hypothetically. All right, so hypothetical. Hypothetically, okay. you run for president. Okay, hypothetically. Hypothetically, Hillary Clinton runs for president. Hypothetically. Hypothetically, do you think you could beat her? Hypothetically? <laughs> you bet. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. I'm very direct. I'm going to say exactly what I think. It's people who raise their voices and yell and scream like you that are dividing this country. Do you want to hear the, do you want to hear the answer or don't you? I'm David First here once again with Matt Katz, who covers the governor for WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio and is writing a book on Chris Christie for Simon & Schuster coming out later this year. Matt, welcome back. Oh, right, right. Matt's a little busy right now uh, dealing with a brand new little Christie tracker at home. So, uh, okay, now clearly is the time for all of the federal indictments to come down and for surprise presidential announcements. Uh, but congratulations to the entire Cats clan. But uh, moving on, just in time for April Fool's Day, it's Michael Druniak's first week in his new job at New Jersey Transit. Uh, the former press secretary for Governor Chris Christie. We'll speak about that with the Star-Ledger's Tom Moran later in the show, and we're going to hear from Matt Rooney with SaveJersey.com in just a couple of minutes. But to begin, we look at how some believe that Christie's last best hope to gain traction in the primary is to focus voters' attention on the presumptive Democratic frontrunner. Statehouse reporter for the Star-Ledger, Claude Brodesser-Ackner, spoke with us about this after a recent trip to the Hawkeye State, arguing that the best friend the governor has in Iowa is Hillary Clinton. Well, that is one of the theories floating around out in Iowa. Um, The thinking goes something like this. Hey, how about we win for a change? We tend to see uh, candidates nominated who are uh, fairly socially conservative uh, coming out of the uh, the Iowa caucuses. Uh, Unfortunately, that is not the largest voting bloc in America. And the result is that those candidates tend to sort of fall flat pretty quickly uh, once they get out into the general election. And uh, so the thinking goes that Christie goes out there and says, hey, I'm a uh, Republican conservative governor elected in a blue state, and um, what do you say we win the presidency? I'm sure you will not agree with me or any other candidate on every single issue. In fact, let me give you some advice. If you want a candidate who agrees with you 100% of the time, I'll give you one suggestion. Go home and look in the mirror. You are the only person you agree with 100% of the time. Why does the Christie camp argue, I mean, aside from, you know, we we want to win, uh, what's their argument that Governor Christie is the most electable? Well, I think they point to, you know, two terms in in a light blue state, one. And two is you see in Christie a kind of cautiousness about alienating social conservatives, and he's very keenly aware of how these kinds of things play uh, in Iowa. And I think, you know, his argument out there is there's an awful lot of sort of more moderate Republicans in Des Moines and Dubuque and in the cities. Um, so this is, this is an eminently winnable fight, I think he thinks. And I think, actually, uh, it's possible if you go out there and are willing to spend the time. And he certainly is willing to do that. Is it possible to walk that line, though, between uh, uh, not angering uh, social conservatives too much and keeping them kind of on your side and then making that larger argument that I am electable, I am, I am the one who can beat Hillary Clinton, even if you don't agree with all of my policies? The one thing Christie has going for him is that people can smell inauthenticity. And um, 
his brand is, look, you know, here I am. I can tell you that you'll always know who I am. You'll always know what I believe, and you'll always know where I stand. I've never tried to change shape with respect to who I am or what I say. Maybe I'm a bully. Maybe I, you need a bully for the middle class. You know, that's his argument. And uh, it, it is actually the sort of one argument that you could go out there with and, and conceivably do reasonably well with, with, you know, the moderate voters that are in the party still. All right. Claude brodesser Ackner, uh, reporter for the Star-Ledger, thanks for speaking. Good to talk to you. So we just heard that uh, part of the Christie strategy hinges on convincing voters that he's the guy who can take on Hillary and win. We're joined now by Matt Rooney, who runs the conservative website SaveJersey.com. Matt, we're talking long shots and big maybes here to be uh, looking this far ahead in the process, and people are lining up all around to say that uh, Christie's got no chance. But what if, what if Christie won the nomination? What would a Christie-Clinton matchup look like? Oh, I I think Chris Christie would be incredibly formidable, David. And, And something we have to remember here, Hillary's husband at this point in his own primary back in 1992, was perhaps not as well known as Chris Christie, but was also not faring very well. And they're both politicians that share a lot of the talents, their ability to communicate, their ability to connect with average voters. So while Chris Christie right now is certainly running up a mountain, um, he's got a very steep hill to climb, you certainly can't count him out. I think if he did get in, I think it would be something that would not only be incredibly competitive, one of the best general elections we've seen in a while in that regard, but it would also be a dream for comedy writers, wouldn't it? (laughs) A dream for comedy writers. Oh, no question about it, because you have the Clintons, who are everybody's favorite heels, even on the left side of the aisle sometimes. And then you have, of course, Chris Christie, who is already, without even being the Republican nominee, a favorite of all everybody who has a late night show. It's not hard to see why. The guy's a bigger than life personality, probably the biggest personality we've had on the national stage since Bill Clinton. As far as comedy goes, uh, late night TV appearances can have an impact on on increasing a candidate's likability. I mean, you you can go on Saturday Night Live or Jimmy Fallon, or I'm thinking of uh, Hillary Clinton on the Colbert Report. Name dropper, that's not what my good friend Tom Hanks calls me (laughs) when we're hanging out at George Clooney's place. Oh, I love George. Um, I wish he could have joined us when I had lunch with Meryl Streep and Ecuadorian President Rafael Correa. Oh, Rafi, he is such a cut-up. <laughs> if you're comparing these candidates on the comedy scale, and I don't mean the unintentionally funny scale, how do they match up? I don't think there's any question that Chris Christie is uh, a candidate that people will find a lot more endearing than Hillary Clinton. Um, he's got a better sense of humor. I'm not moving any cot into this office and sleeping here. You close down the governor, I'm getting in those black SUVs with the troopers, I'm going to the governor's residence, I'm going to go upstairs, I'm going to open a beer, I'm going to order a pizza, I'm going to watch the Mets. <laughs> and when you decide to reopen the government, give me a call and I'll come back. But don't think I'm sleeping on some cot. Take a look at me. You think I'm sleeping on a cot? Uh, Not happening. I think he has a much less awkward style. I think the most telling contrast, David, is if we look at how both of these candidates performed under pressure. 
at a time when they were both under the harsh lens of media scrutiny. Chris Christie, in the immediate aftermath of when Bridgegate broke and we first learned about that story back in January 2014, the guy proceeded to give a flawless two-hour press conference. I'm heartbroken about it, and I'm incredibly disappointed. Um, I don't think I've gotten to the angry stage yet, but I'm sure I'll get there. He was funny. He joked. He was, at times, um, extremely uh, emotional. Um, almost looking like he was getting a little bit misty when he was talking about how people had lied to him within his staff that he cared about. We're a family and we work together and we tell each other the truth. We support each other when we need to be supported and we admonish each other when we need to be admonished. I am heartbroken that someone who I permitted to be in that circle of trust for the last five years betrayed my trust. Compare that to Hillary Clinton, who recently had a hastily uh, assembled press conference to talk about her email scandal. I responded right away and provided all my emails that could possibly be work-related, which totaled roughly 55,000 printed pages. She was rigid. She was robotic. At times, she laughed at inappropriate moments. Again, looking back, it would have been better for me to use two separate phones and two email accounts I thought using one device would be simpler, and obviously it hasn't worked out that way. She may share the last name of her husband, but she's nothing like him in terms of ability to connect with average Americans. Speaking on NPR's Weekend Edition, national political correspondent for NPR News, Mara Lyason spoke about uh, Hillary Clinton's relationship with the press. The last time she took questions from reporters was at that United Nations uh, press conference to answer questions about the email controversy, and it was a real Rorschach test. Politico pronounced the unspoken message of her appearance was, quote, go to hell. Other reporters wrote that she answered the questions, quote, through gritted teeth. And some people thought she worked pretty hard and succeeded in not looking defensive or angry or dismissive of the media's interest in this controversy. So we know there's a awkwardness there, maybe a, a difficult relationship with the press. I know, Matt, you talked about um, Christie and his two-hour post-Bridgegate press conference, but, you know, he hasn't been speaking with the press lately. He's not taking questions about New Jersey issues. What about his current relationship with the press, especially in New Jersey? I think it's been somewhat bungled. When you're a politician in a, a sticky spot, which Chris Christie has been lately for a number of reasons, most famously for folks outside of New Jersey, Bridgegate, you have to go back to your strengths. And that's what he did in the immediate aftermath of Bridgegate. And I think if he had stuck to that strategy, he might be in better shape today with the Republican base than he actually is. But he hasn't. He's retreated. And on the domestic front here in New Jersey, he's focused primarily on trying to recapture the magic of bipartisanship that he had at a very different point in his governorship when Democrats in Trenton still had an incentive to work with him. They no longer do. And Chris Christie is increasingly focusing on closed events in New Jersey and outside of New Jersey. And I think it's a mistake. It's hurting him. Let's go into fantasy land. Let's imagine that uh, Christie does win the nomination. What is a head-to-head -head matchup with Hillary Clinton like? How will that play out? It's going to be incredibly ugly, which comes as a surprise to no one. But when you have Chris Christie versus Hillary Clinton, you have two individuals who have big names, big personalities, but also equally big ghosts that are going to be following them around throughout the cycle. 
The Clintons are known as dirty fighters. Chris Christie is known for throwing elbows. It's going to be an intensely personal campaign. And I think in presidential politics, David, Americans always tend to focus just as much on the personalities as the actual issues, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, an argument for a different time, right? But that's what they do. It's a popularity contest to some extent. I think that that's what that race is going to be because the Clinton and Christie names are so ginormous. Given that that's the case, I think Chris Christie's got a decent shot if he can make it that far. Chris Christie's problems during the primary. If he makes it through to a general election fight with Hillary Clinton, I don't know what could stop him at that point. Look back at presidential history. When was the last time the more awkward, less likable general election candidate won? It just never happens. Big uh, personalities, big ghosts. Uh, Matt Rooney, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, David. Matt Rooney runs the conservative website SaveJersey.com. This is the Christy Tracker Podcast. I'm David First. We're joined now by Tom Moran, editorial page editor for the Star-Ledger. Welcome back. Thanks, Dave. So, Tom, Christie against Clinton. How far into fantasy land have we wandered? How unlikely is this matchup at this point? He's got to turn things around dramatically to have any chance at the Republican nomination. The latest poll came from CBS News, a national poll. It didn't just say, who do you prefer? It said... We're going to give you the name of a candidate and tell us if there's any chance you'll vote for him. 42% of Republicans said no way they'd vote for Christie. That's the highest by far of the eight candidates. 27% said they might, and that's uh, very low compared to the other candidates. So it's about the same as it was last month. He's stuck in the basement, doesn't seem to know how to get out. He tightened his position on abortion by supporting measures that would limit abortions to 20 weeks. He also joined a lawsuit against Obama's executive order on immigration. That's an issue where he has been uh, pro-Latino in the past. He won the majority of Latino votes. He supported the DREAM Act. He gives in-state tuition to illegal students at the state colleges. He's been generally striking a uh, friendly tone. So that's a shift for him, too. But he's pandering to the right, and none of it seems to be working. We also have the Bridgegate indictments pending on top of all this. So I think uh, Christie lands in a state of disarray. So April 1st, the first day on the job for Governor Christie's former press secretary, Michael Druniak. He begins work this week at NJ Transit in a position that was specially created for him. Uh, Some have called this a classic patronage hire, uh, at least publicly. uh, Ronnie Hakeem, the agency's executive director, says different. Among other statements, she said, quote, when you have an organization like NJ Transit that is complex and multimodal, there is incredible value in having someone who will be singularly focused on these and other strategic initiatives. Singularly devoted like the other employees are doing what? This is comical. He is going to be the policy and strategic planning director. He doesn't know anything about transportation. He doesn't ride mass transit. This is a patronage job. But he will ride mass transit, he says. He will now, yeah. Well, good. There's no way you can make an argument that he's qualified for this job. And patronage doesn't always happen as call up and say, hey, can you get my buddy a job? It's all people in the same club who take care of each other and scratch each other's backs. And Druniak is in the club. 
What is he actually going to be doing at New Jersey Transit? Uh, policy and strategic planning. Maybe he'll be the one who can warn them, next time there's a hurricane, don't park $120 million worth of trains in a swamp and get them ruined, as New Jersey Transit did during Sandy. I mean, I've known the guy many years because he used to work at the Star-Ledger, and I've known him. And so, you know, I've been friendly with the guy despite our constant battle. He has what um, Dave D'Alessandro, my, my colleague, wrote in an editorial, described him as... Someone with the personality of an ulcerated nightclub bouncer. My favorite Juniac quote is, uh, of course, the email that was discovered in the course of the Bridgegate investigation when he's talking about David Wildstein, his, who he had been friendly with. And he said he would like to claw out his eyeballs and fill the sockets with gasoline and light it on fire. You have to really cultivate your most, <laughs> the blackest part of your soul to come up with a line like that and have good command of the language. I'll give him that. Whatever people may fear or worry about Michael Druniak being in, in NJ Transit now, there's so much scrutiny of the Christie administration now, so much more than, let's say, when Wildstein was first installed at the Port Authority. There is a lot more scrutiny. What, what's also curious about the, the Druniak move is that it takes place right now. I mean, isn't his boss on the way to the White House? You would think he'd want to take that ride, but he's hopping off, as are others. Maybe we should all take a chill pill. Maybe he's just going to be just what the doctor ordered. Maybe things will work out great. It's possible. But I think uh, when taxpayers are funding a job, it's not asking too much to hire someone who is at least remotely qualified for the job. Tom Moran, editorial editor for The Star-Ledger, thanks for speaking. Sure thing, Dick. The Christie Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, thanks to associate producer Joseph Capriglione. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christie Tracker Podcast on iTunes. You can like us on Facebook, and you can follow Matt Katz on Twitter at MattKatz00. That's Matt, K-A-T-Z. Or Tom Moran at Tom A. Moran. I'm David First. Till next week, here's a flashback to 2010. New Jersey Transit will have to approve the efficiency of its operations, revisit its rich union contracts, end the patronage hiring that has typified its past. <laughs>